Well, good morning. Great to see you today, church family. I want to welcome everybody that's here today. If you're a guest, we're really glad uh, that you are here this morning and, and those uh, that are tuning in online. I want you to go ahead and grab a Bible and uh, turn to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. And we have been in a series that I've been calling Friend Request. And we are really looking at what the Bible says about loving each other. What does the Bible say uh, really about friendships and relationships and how we are to relate uh, to one another. And one of the things that I've done as a pastor over the years is I've spent a lot of time helping people navigate conflict. So marital conflict, parent-child conflict, um, conflict with neighbors, conflict with coworkers, uh, just all kinds of conflict. Uh, right now, our, our nation is kind of going through conflict right now. And one of the things you'll notice Every segment of society has conflict in it of some, some sort. And the reason why is because when you put broken people together in a broken world, it's always going to result in conflict. And so a big part of what it means to love people, a big part of what it means to relate to people is, is really learning how to resolve conflict. And the reason why that is so important is because if we don't learn how to resolve conflict, we're never going to be at peace with ourselves. We're never going to be at peace with other people and we're never going to be at peace with God. And so this is a huge part of what it means to be a Christian. It's a huge part of discipleship, of following Jesus every day, learning how to resolve conflict with other people. And so one of the things that I've noticed uh, as a pastor is every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll come to know someone who's living their life and they're just, they're just living life with, with a number of unresolved conflicts in their life. And so what I notice is it's very difficult for them to build friendships. It's very difficult for them to make friends and to keep those friends because they just have a a lot of unresolved conflict just built up in their life. And so because of that, they, they, they have little joy in their life. They have little satisfaction. So you can see this is really, really important. In fact, I would say, you know, when we live a life of unresolved conflicts, it's almost like carrying a 50-pound bag with you everywhere you go. You know, can you imagine, you know, when you're getting ready to go to the airport and you're, you're, you're taking a trip, you're carrying your suitcase with you, but can you imagine carrying that suitcase with you even if you're not going on a trip, even if you're just living your ordinary life, you're just carrying this 50-pound weight, weight bag with you? And so how much would that hinder you? How much would that hold you back? And what I've noticed is some people have so much conflict in their life and they've tried to live with it so long, they don't even think about it anymore. They don't even realize how much that that baggage is holding them back. And so what I wanted to share with you today is it is the heart of God for you to be at peace in your relationships. That is God's will for you. He wants you to live, he wants you to live at peace with other people and, and peace with himself. And this is especially true in a marriage relationship. And a lot of times you've heard us say that, that marriage is not about our happiness, it's about our holiness. It's really about marriage is about us learning how to love. That's the purpose of marriage. And so, and so I love Paul Tripp, who's a counselor. He's an author and a pastor. And he made the comment one time. He said, he said if, if marriage and family is about making life smoother and making us happy, then God picked a real terrible plan for that. 
because that's just, that's just not the reality there. He, he goes on to talk about how you take, you take one sinner who has all these issues and you join him with another sinner who has all these issues and then they produce little sinners with all of their issues and then there's an absolute recipe for conflict. And I think we've all experienced that at one point or another in our lives. We've all experienced conflict, whether you're in, you're in elementary school, you're in high school, college, whatever stage you're in, we've all walked and experienced conflict. But I have really good news for you, and the good news is this. God is not the source of your conflict. He's not the source of your conflict. And the other good news is this, that God wants to take conflict in our life and grow us and change us and make us into the image of Christ which is really the reason why we need to be committed as Christ followers to dealing with conflict in a way that honors God. He wants to use it to bring glory to himself and to make us just like his son, Jesus. Now, the challenging part of this is this, that we all have different styles of handling conflict. We all do. Uh, in fact, you could, you could say one style of handling conflict is, is what you could call a peace faker. Now, not a peacemaker, a peace faker. And a peace faker is kind of like a peacemaker, but it's totally different. See, a peace faker wants peace at all costs. They, they, want, they want harmony at all costs. So they'll do anything and say anything just to have harmony. But, but the only thing that they won't do is they won't do the hard work of conflict resolution. They won't do the hard work of really having a hard conversation, an honest conversation to get at that place to get at a real place of peace. So I call that a peace faker. Then you have, then you have another style of conflict you know, management and it's really the sulker. You guys know what the sulker is? The sulker is the person that just sulks. They just walk around and they're mad at everything and you, and you know you've done something to kind of offend them but they won't tell you what it is. So it's kind of like a game of escape room where everybody has to figure out how to get out of this, but you don't get any help from the sulker at all. You know what I'm saying? And so you just have to guess, that, well, what did I do this time? And so a sulker is, is uh, very common. How about this, a stuffer? You guys ever, ever seen somebody handle conflict? With, they're, they're what we call a stuffer. They just take the anger and the conflict and they just stuff it down. And then you ask them what's wrong and they say, oh, nothing, nothing's wrong. And then everywhere they spit on the grass, it catches on fire. You know what I'm saying? And they've got a text bubble over their head with cuss words in it. But everything's fine. You know, everything's good. That's called the stuffer. How about this? How about the litigator? You guys have a litigator in your family? Uh, you know what a litigator is? A litigator is somebody that handles conflict who uh, is very proficient at arguing. And so they just argue out of everything. They, they're, they're so persuasive in their arguments that they, are, they persuade you that they are never wrong. Never wrong. And it's not that they can't admit that they're wrong. It's just that they never think that they are wrong. So they're a real blessing to live with. They really are. So, um, and then the, last, then the last one is what you would call a screamer. And a screamer is just handling conflict just by letting it all out. Just let her rip, baby. And it, you've got a high volume and a lot of words and a lot of things. Now, here's, here's the thing that I want to just share with you, church. There is a better way. There is a better way. And the truth is this. We've all done one or more of those, of those uh, styles of handling conflict. But I just want to share with you from, really from the Word of God, that there is there's a better way. There's a way that brings healing. There's a way that brings peace. 
there's a way that brings joy and harmony in relationships. So, so church, here's what I want to do today. I want to talk to you about why we need to resolve conflict, why we need to do this. And then I want to talk to you. I just want to give you five steps and how to do it today. So I'm just going to be very practical with you today. Just going to get right down in the trenches. You know, I've experienced this. You've experienced this. And so uh, we, want to be, we want to be disciples and we want to handle uh, conflict in a way that brings honor to God. So everybody get it? All right, very good. Now, why do we need to resolve conflict? Well, very simply, God commands it. God commands it. Uh, God cares about relationships. Let me show you the passage of Scripture in Romans 12. Uh, just a few verses here, but notice what the Apostle Paul says. Now let me just kind of set it up for you, because this is really important to see the big picture. The first 11 chapters of Romans talk about the, the conflict that existed between us and God. And what the first 11 chapters explain is the steps that God took to resolve the conflict with us. You should read all 11 chapters. They're amazing. But in chapter 12, there's a real shift. There's a turn. And, and so what he's talking about is, okay, well, if God has taken all of these steps to resolve conflict with us, how then should we live? How should we relate to one another? How should we love one another? Well, he answers it in chapter 12 and following. But let me give you a little bit of a slice of it. Notice what he says in verses 16 through 18, he says, live in harmony with, with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. All right, so let's, let's just take, let's just go back and walk through this and let's just see how, what this really looks like on a, on a very practical basis, all right? So first and foremost, you see verse, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. There you go, God commands that we do conflict resolution. He just, he just the word of God says we are to live in harmony, we are to live peaceably with, with one another. And so really what he's talking about there, our relationships are the most important thing in life. That's what he's talking about. That that our relationship with God and our relationship with one another are the most important things of life. Not money, not fame, not position, not political power, not any of that. Relationships. Because relationships, church, relationship with God and other people are going to last forever. And so he, God wants us to live in harmony with one another. That's what he's talking about. He says, do not be haughty. Okay, haughty is a word we don't use that as much uh, anymore, but it just means pride. And pride is this belief that I'm better than someone else, that I'm more important than someone else. Uh, and so he says, don't be proud. Don't give in to pride. Uh, the, the implication here is that the source of so much conflict in our lives is someone is living in pride. Someone wants their way. Someone thinks they're more important than someone else. And so he says, don't, don't do that. But he says, but associate with the lowly. Associate. In other words, have relationship with, with the downcast, with the outcast, with the dis, disheartened, uh, with the disenfranchised. Have relationship with those who don't have what you have. And love those who don't have what you have, who can't return the favor maybe like you can. 
And so what he's talking about is, the, again, the fact that people matter to God. And so, and so relationships really matter to God. And it doesn't matter how much money you make or what your education level is. None of that really matters. But l- the love of Christ is what matters. And he goes on to say, never be wise in your own sight, which is another form of pride. So you have a, a just, he's touching on it one more time. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one, no one, evil for evil. Okay? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. So I think what he's really talking about there is this is a connection to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, pray for your enemies, pray for those who curse you, bless those who curse you. And so he's talking about how you and I are to relate to people that persecute us, that mistreat us, that hate us, that that do wrong against us, that we are not to repay evil for evil, but we are to respond in love back to them. Now, that doesn't mean be a doormat. Doesn't mean that you allow yourself to be walked on. It doesn't mean you allow yourself to be taken advantage of. It just means that if they throw a rock at us, I'm not throwing one back. And you ask, how, how in the world can you do it? You can't do it in your own human strength. Because what he's talking about here is a supernatural love of God that when you say yes to the Holy Spirit in your life, he gives you the kind of power you need to live out this love. This is impossible in human terms because we are broken people and we need the power of God working in our lives. And then he goes on to say, Give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all because I'm telling you, church, other people are watching the conflict that you're navigating with someone else in your life. Everybody's got a a stadium seat watching it. So you have an opportunity to, to do the honorable thing, the right thing, the loving thing to the blessing of other people that are not even involved in it. I think that's what he's talking about. He says this, verse 18. Now, this is really interesting. This is how you know he knows what he's talking about. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all, okay? Now, what he's doing there is he's giving, he is really giving just two two caveats. He's saying, first of all, if possible, he is recognizing, church, that it's not always possible to live at peace with someone else. There are some people that are so emotionally broken, so spiritually broken in their life, they're just kind of an empty well and there's no way you can fill up that well. You can please and appease and support and encourage all you want to, but they're not gonna reciprocate the relationship. And so what he's talking about is he's giving us a little bit of realism to basically say when there's conflict in a relationship, it takes two to tango. You guys tracking with me on that? And so you, we need to understand that and be mindful of that as we're seeking, as we're seeking to, to heal this conflict. The other caveat that he gives us is this, as far as it depends upon you. Now, what he's telling us that is, is this, that you do all you can do to make the relationship, with, make the relationship right. You do all that you can do. And once you've done all that you can do, you can be at peace. Because it's not always possible. They're not always going to return it. They're not always going to respond in a loving way back to you. But what you want to do is get to that place. Because you don't want to live in conflict. You don't want to live in division. You don't want to live in discord and anger and hatred. You don't want to live that. You take every step possible to make that relationship right and to bring healing to it. But after you've done that, 
and they still respond in a, in a negative way to you, then you can be at peace with God and with yourself knowing in your heart you did everything you could do. You want to be able, church, you want to be, you're going to stand before God one day and you will give an account of your life. And you just want to be able to say, God, in that relationship, I did all that I could. I did all I could. And God knows your heart, right? And so, and so uh, that's, that's the goal. So, so really the point of what he's saying in this passage is, is relationships are hard work. And we need to be about the business of building those relationships, especially ones that are under, under conflict. Now, let me give you just five steps in the time that I have left and just kind of walk us through uh, what, what this process would look like. Okay, so I want to just be very practical uh, for all of us here today. What would, the, what would this look like? Uh, we know God commands it, so how do you do it? Okay, well, let me, give you, let me give you five ways. All right, here's number one. You need to make the first move. You need to make the first move. Now you're like, Scott, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let me show you what Jesus is talking about. Matthew 5, 23, he says this. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, okay? So the context here is worship. He's talking about you're gathering for worship, just like we are today. And, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, okay? So, so you're worshiping God, you're gathering with God's people, and all of a sudden you remember that, that someone, a brother or sister, has something against you. They're mad at you, there's a rift in the relationship. What he says is this, leave your gift there at the, at the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother, he says, and then come and offer your gift. Now what he's talking about is practically that, that if you're in worship and you know that somebody has something against you, you need to leave worship and go make that relationship right. And the truth is some of you are in, in worship right now. You don't need to be here right now. Can we just be honest about it? Because you've got, you've got at least one conflicted relationship that you need to make right with God. And so you don't even need to be here right now. You need to be out the door making your way to resolve that conflict and make that relationship right. Why? I think what Jesus is talking about is, is our our, if our horizontal relationships, our human relationships are not right, then our relationship with God is not going to be right. Because our, our lives are not segmented compartments. We don't have our God compartment here and our money compartment here and our relationship compartment here. We don't have that. We're a whole. We're an integrated whole. And so one area always affects the other area. And so if our relationships are not right with one another, our relationship with God is not going to be right. That's what he's talking about. So what do you do? You go make it right. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, you make it right. That's what he's saying. Now, church, listen to me. This is probably of the five steps. This is the hardest one to go make the first move. This is the hardest one. I mean, I talk to, I, I pastor people all the time in this situation and people will tell me, Pastor Scott, I just, I just really don't like conflict. I get scared. Now, do you know what I would say to that? In 25 years of pastoring, I've never met anybody that likes conflict. Not one, not one person. I've never met anybody that likes conflict. I've never met anybody that said, I just love conflict. It is so relaxing. I just, I want to do it on my vacation. You know, it's so much fun. Listen, if you don't like conflict, raise your hand if you don't like conflict in the room. 
Yeah, congratulations, we're all human, okay? That's just part of the deal. No one likes conflict, and the reality is, is resolving conflict is hard work. It is hard, it is gut-wrenching work. It is emotional work. It's, it's heavy lifting. But here's the thing, church, listen to me. If you don't get anything else I say, you need to get this. When you take the first move to go make that relationship right, if you will go prayerfully, if you will go humbly, if you will go honestly, if you will go lovingly, regardless of how they respond to you, you will walk away in peace. You will walk away in peace. Because you will know, I did everything I could. I did this to please and honor God. and God will honor that and give you peace. You know, it's interesting. This fear of conflict goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, you know what they did? They ran and hid from God. They hid in the garden. And uh, because they were afraid of conflict. They didn't want to be exposed. They didn't want the truth to come out. And so much so is, is that true in our lives that men and women have, have been running from God, hiding from God ever since. And so what do you do if, you've, if, if you need courage to make the first move? What do you do? Well, you ask God for grace to make the first move. That's what you do. You ask God for the courage to make the first move, to go and reconcile this relationship. Think about, think about the message of grace, church. The message of grace is this. We were still sinners. God made the first move. We were in conflict with God. We were in rebellion with God. And what did God do? He made the first move in sending his son, Jesus. And so it's while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. He made the first move. He knows what it's like to make the first move. And if he made the first move and he knows what it's like to make the first move, he will give you the grace that you need to make the first move as well. Can I get an amen to that? Well, there you go. So make the first move. Second thing you need to, uh, this is really important, admit your part of the problem. You need to admit you're part of the problem. Let's say you're having a peace conference. You've made the first move. What do you do first? Admit you're part of the problem. Okay, even if, even if the other person is 99% wrong, they're 99% wrong, what do you do? You admit you're 1%. You know what that's called? That's called humility. That's what it's called. And so you admit you're 1% because you never go into, uh, you know, a peace conference blaming and criticizing and accusing, attacking. You never do that. You start confessing your end of the deal. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7. Uh, he says this. Look at what he says in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Now, this is Hebrew humor. The, the, the crowd is laughing at this point because this is so funny. He's talking about you've got a tree out of growing out of your eye, but you can't see it. But man, you can sure see the speck in your brother's eye, the little thing in his eye, but you can't see the huge thing in your own eye. So what does he say? He says this, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, so really, you ask, well, what do I admit there? Well, you admit 
your sinful response. You admit your sinful reaction. You admit your sinful words. You, you take responsibility for your 1% or more, whatever it is. And that's where it begins. Now, can I do just a skill builder just for a minute? Okay, I want to do a skill builder with you. When you go and you're admitting you're part of the problem, don't go in and say, I'm sorry, but. Don't do that. I'm sorry, but. Now, as soon as you say, but, you have now exited admitting you're part of the problem. You are now blame shifting. Okay, don't do that. What you need to say is, I'm sorry, how can I make this right? What do I need to do to make this right? That is a great place. You don't need to say, I'm sorry, but you made me do it. If you hadn't yelled at me, I wouldn't have yelled at you. You know that God holds you accountable for your actions and God will hold them accountable for their actions. So that means you don't need to be, you don't need to be blame shifting. You're responsible for what you have done. And so, and so you need to admit your part of the problem. And in fact, I would, I would say it like this. When you're confessing a fault, you need to follow the three A's, okay? The three A's. The first one is admit, okay? Be specific. Admit what you did and be precisely specific. And then secondly, apologize. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And then the third A is ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Church, if you will do that, if you'll teach your kids to do that, you will set them up for healthy relationships the rest of their life because they admit, number one, apologize, number two, number three, ask for forgiveness. And so this works the same way in our relationship with God. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. God is so good to forgive us of our sins and he's just in forgiving us of our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. So, so you make the first move and then you uh, admit you're part of the problem. Third, listen, listen for the hurt. Listen for the hurt. And, uh, and this is where it's really important. You understand uh, the importance of listening. Look, look at what James 1.19 says. James says this, know this, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, what you have to do is listen for their hurt. Don't be thinking about what you're going to say, but just put yourself in their shoes. And I know it's cliche, church, but it is absolutely true. Hurt people hurt people. So if, so if you've been hurt by someone, especially over and over again, it's probably because they're responding out of hurt. And what you want to do in the peace conference is just listen for their hurt. Listen for uh, their, their side of things, their angle of things. And so that's why God's given you two ears and one mouth because he wants you to listen twice as much as, as, we, as we speak. So Proverbs 18, 13 says this, uh, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So basically what he's saying there, it's foolish not to listen. It's just dumb. You need to listen and listen very carefully. And so that's the greatest. It is really listening. Your undivided attention is one of the greatest gifts you could ever give someone where you're just focused on them. 
It communicates to them that you love them and that they are significant and they're worthy of your time and your attention. Does that make sense? So listen to them. Number four, speak the truth in love. There's going to come a time in the peace conference when you need to speak the truth. Church, speak it in love. Take the truth and wrap it in the love of God. That's what you do. A lot of times, if you just speak the truth and you don't wrap it in love, it lands really hard on the other person. It's like hitting them with a club. And you don't want to do that. Speak the truth. Speak it in love. This is the problem with a lot of social media today. You speak the truth, but you can't really convey love. It's hard to convey love and humility in that. And then other people get offended by it. And it's a really difficult medium for speaking the truth in love. And so Proverbs speaks to this. Um, in twelve eighteen. the writer of Proverbs says this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. You ever had a sword thrust from someone's mouth? Uh, it hurts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. In other words, you don't want foolish words because those hurt. You don't want rash words because those hurt. What you want is wise words so that they can bring healing in, in your life. That's, that's at the heart. So, so what, what I want to do is I'm in this peace conference and I'm going to ask the question, is, is what I'm about to say, is it going to be abrasive or persuasive? Is my, are my words going to build up or are my words going to tear down? So you just want to think about that as you're navigating, as you're navigating this. And this is exactly what God has done for us. He has spoken the truth to us in love, has he not? And the truth about us is we are sinners. And the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he took that truth, the reality that we've all sinned against God, that we created the conflict with him, and he gave his son. He wrapped that truth in love. And then he gave it to us. And so it, it helps us to walk in healing. So that's huge. Speak the truth in love. And then lastly, you want to forgive. You want to forgive. And so this is really the core of the gospel. This is, um, this is, this is really being so overwhelmed with God's forgiveness of you. That that overwhelmness spills out in our relationships with other people. Church, listen to me. We have exponentially sinned more against God than anybody has ever sinned against us. And so we take the grace and the mercy that God has demonstrated to us and we apply it to relationships uh, and infractions that have been committed to us. I'm not saying this is easy because it's not. But what I am saying is I want you to focus on the cross, right? And what, and what God has done for us. And, and again, the Bible gives us a, a tremendous gospel promise. Though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Why? Because of the forgiveness and the mercy of God. So here's what I want to do today, church. I just want to ask you two questions. The first one and the second one are so important. And it's this. Are you in conflict with God right now? Are you right with God? God has made a way for you to know his peace. And we saw two, two great confessions of that today 
in, in, uh, in baptism. And so the Bible says if you admit your need for a sinner, you would admit your need for a Savior and believe that Jesus died for you as a sinner and that you commit your life to him, you will know the peace of God. So that's the first question. Are you at peace with God? The last question is this. Is there someone you need to reconcile with? Is there, is there a person, is there a relationship where you need to say, I need to make the first move? I wanna challenge you today, this week, sometime soon, make the first move and you will experience peace in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for all the steps that you've taken to reconcile with us. Lord, our, it was our sin that caused the conflict with you. It was our rebellion. It was our pride that said we wanted our way. We wanted to live our own life. And so God, thank you that you didn't give up on us, but you gave up what was most precious to you so that we could have peace with you. And so God, we give you praise and we give you glory. And Lord, we ask that your grace would become real to us today. And I know that there are many watching online right now and there are many in this room. And I, I, just, I just wanna give you an invitation right now to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you wanna take that step today, wherever you are, just pray this prayer. Uh, that I'm gonna lead you in just, just in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've rebelled against you and that I need a savior. Jesus, I believe you died in my place as a substitute. You paid my penalty. You took my punishment. So God, come into my life and forgive me of my sins. And I commit my life to following you. I, I I repent, I turn away from sin and I commit to following you. And so God, put your Holy Spirit in me that I would know I'm a child of God, that I would know peace, peace with God and peace with other people. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.